In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 18. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNelly. One of my guests this week is Dr. Susan Friedman, a behaviorist with 30 years experience who impressed my zookeeper son earlier this year when he went on a bird training workshop in Florida. We'll be talking about positive reinforcement and the changing, not breaking, of habits. I'll be touching on a trip to Arkansas where the full color shouted at us loud and clear and clue you in on a big event that took place recently. But first, I'm going to share with you a chat I had with my friend, Sarita Holtzman, co-founder and president of Sunlight Curriculum a little bit ago. Sunlight and Far East Broadcasting Company have joined forces to provide a unique way for homeschoolers to participate in a completely free six-week online adventure that has the potential to seriously impact many across the world through the use of radios, my favorite form of media. Guided by a young boy called Phoenix Fax, who takes us to Russia, Bali, Jakarta, and other exotic countries, we have the opportunity to actively take part in the Great Commission, as Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. All right. Well, Sarita, um, I've heard that you have a new charity project um, that Sunlight Curriculum is involved in and how um, homeschoolers everywhere can benefit from us. Um, will you tell us about that? I'd be glad to. Uh, each year we try to do a fundraiser for homeschoolers. Uh, so many kids in the school system raise money for magazines for their school and for their clubs and those kinds of things. And we wanted to give homeschoolers a similar kind of an uh, event, but with a more global kind of a perspective. Mm-hmm. So this year, our project, uh, we're linking arms with a company called Far East Broadcasting. And uh, they do radio broadcasts around the world, but mostly in the East, <laughs> Far East, where... Uh, there's so many unreached groups. Mm-hmm. And what we've op- opted to do is raise money for small handheld radios. Um, we do that through a, uh, a video program called Phoenix Facts, which is just kind of a strange name. But it's a boy, a 13-year-old homeschooled boy, 
that they have sent to various countries around the world. And they have video clips of him visiting these places and seeing some of the needs that there are for many people to hear the good news about Jesus. Uh, They visit Russia and they visit Bali and Indonesia and South Korea, some of the countries that maybe most of us wouldn't have an opportunity to ever go and visit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he does, uh, he sees some of the famous historical sites. So for even the educational part of it, if you don't know a lot about some of the more interesting places that are there, he gives you an opportunity to see those. All right, let me ask can I ask you a question about, about the series? i just jump in there. You said the um, boy's name is Phoenix Fax. Obviously, that's not his real name. And Fax is spelt, if anybody out there um, wants to go and look it up, P-H-A-X-X. Okay, and Thank you, Phoenix. Vivian. Phoenix is like Phoenix, Arizona. So um, mm-hmm. that, that's a straightforward spelling. And you can just type in phoenixfax.com, and you can get onto this wonderful website. And one of the questions I did have was, when I was first looking at it, did this boy really go there, or is that all superimposed? behind him but then as i started to watch it he really does go there and so um this this video was already um in place and had been created by the far east broadcasting company correct it was and it was done uh basically in conjunction with us it was one of those where uh because we match funds with what's raised by the different kids Mm -hmm. uh, they have an opportunity to, to really have a huge impact on the world uh, for each dollar that's given, we match that dollar. Mm-hmm. And why they do radios is um, just trying to find a mechanism that kids can plug into. Mm-hmm. And the me- the radios go to some of the villages that don't have any electricity. It's mm-hmm. really hard for us to even imagine that there's people like that. <laughs> but there um, there's many. And what they find is a little handheld wind-up radio uh, has a much bigger impact than just the one family that they give it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you're dealing with a community where there's not any other entertainment around, uh, the radio is just the biggest thing that happens in town. And they find that one radio has an opportunity to reach at least 25 people. Wow. So it's a, it's an ideal opportunity to uh, give kids a, a handheld project that they can uh, actually touch and impact. And oh, I just uh, think it does all kinds of good things things for kids to be uh because we know where your yeah. treasure is your heart where your heart is there your treasure is as well that's right if we can if we can give kids the opportunity to uh sacrificially give and uh, we have kids that do really creative things have garage sales or uh sell treats at a sporting event or there's just a whole host of ways and uh, as kids do that i think it's really good for impacting the heart of our kids well, um, you, you said that one radio will reach um, 25 people because it's not just the immediate family that will listen to that radio. It's, it's um, extended family and friends. And the same thing you spoke about when you did your project in India, the vacation the Bible school, right. um, where you, you had the children, but then the children went home and shared what they were learning with their families. So, you know, that's another um, great way to outreach. And I think this radio idea, obviously, because I have a radio show, is fantastic because it can <laughs> reach large amounts of people. And the fact that you've got this wound up, wind up radio, does that mean that they don't need batteries? Correct. Right. It's it's done with a crank, and the cranking mechanism mm-hmm. is what makes the bet, the um, the radio work. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so yeah. Um, Far East Broadcasting Company. Okay, so they have a radio station in the east that they broadcast from. Is that is that how that works? 
That's correct. Okay. Uh, they have um, actually they have multiple. They have, for example, one in the Philippines, and I think there's one in Indonesia. They have multiples in the mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. and uh, they do uh, both shortwave radio and they do uh, these little microchips. That uh, that's not it's it's a kind of a new way of doing it where they actually plug into cell phones. But that's that's a whole other arena that yeah. we're not necessarily focusing on in this yeah. one. But they do um, some very creative ways of trying to reach parts where uh, so many parts in the East aren't terribly accessible to mm-hmm. even missionaries mm-hmm. going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of some of the parts of China, for example, where radio is probably the best way mm-hmm. uh, to actually get the word in without a lot of interference from the government. Another clock, sorry. Another clock, that's all right. <laughs> all right, so um, the, I'm looking at the website now, and it says a pocket guide to the Great Commission. I think that's fantastic. Me too. Yeah. And what you do is you, when you sign up, and you sign up online, and they'll send you a packet that has information, and then every week, on I think it's on Tuesday, uh, the, a new video is released. Mm-hmm. You have a chance to see that and interface with, so you have everything from communism, which is, of course, um, an atheist uh, philosophy and uh, way of looking at the world, mm-hmm. to the world of Islam, to uh, South Korea, which has actually been relatively well um, evangelized, but there's still, of course, opportunity uh, to reach the world in that part of the world as well. And so this this doesn't actually cost us anything, so our homeschooling families out there don't actually have to go in and buy anything in order to be able to access this website. But if they want to, it's a charity and they can give. That is absolutely correct. And if you don't have a penny, there's no bondage at all. Just come and learn about the world uh, we believe it's important also to pray. So if this challenges your family to pray and uh, to cover this part of the world where billions of people still have not had a chance to hear, uh, we'd just be so grateful. And you uh, don't have to be a homeschooling family. There's some Sunday school classes and there's other um, opportunities. We developed it for homeschooling families, again, because we want to uh, raise up kids that uh, actually become advocates at a young age. As I thought about it, I thought it's so important for kids to uh, speak up and to stand up for things that are important and significant. And if we can help them do that by giving them a project that has value and worth and broadens their vision and their heart, I just think that would be a fantastic thing. And um, you say it goes on for um, a certain number of weeks, and then afterwards, is it always available? I believe they're going to be leaving it up so that it will always be available, but that I can't promise. <laughs> All right, because it started, I think, at the end of September, so we're already into perhaps the second or third journey with Phoenix. That's, that's correct. At this point, yes. But they're still they're still up online, and uh, feel free to go back and view them from the beginning. And mm-hmm. uh, Phoenix actually meets with some of the people that live in these lands and uh, talks to, for example, when he's in Russia, he talks with some students, and they say, oh, we don't know any Christians. Can you imagine living in a place that's, yeah. yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, that yeah. there's... So much need yet in the world. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Well, Sarita, thank you so much for joining me very briefly um, to get this little segment on my show. And um, it's a wonderful geography cultural supplement brought from Sunlight Curriculum in conjunction with the Far East Broadcasting Company. And it can be included in any homeschoolers curriculum or any family's curriculum or Sunday school. Um, Learn about cultures that are very different from our American one. And um, Phoenix goes to Russia, Bali, Jakarta, Canada. 
Cambodia and South Korea. And all you have to do is go to Phoenix Facts, that's P-H-A-X-X dot com, and enjoy an adventure of a lifetime from the comfort of your own home. There's no, there's an opportunity to contribute to the charity, but there's no cost to actually go in and view all of these wonderful excursions that Phoenix takes. Um, and um, I've been talking to Sarita Holtzman, who is the co-founder and president of Sunlight Curriculum, which um, she and her husband established 20 years ago. And Sunlight provides families across the globe with the rich resources that they need to raise lifelong learners and um, fervently pursue whatever God calls them to do. And this project is one of the exciting ways in which they do it. Sarita, thank you once again. toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, Solving the Connections of Autoimmune Disease to Thyroid Problems, Fibromyalgia, Depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live here on Tugginet.com. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. My zookeeper son first met my guest while he was on a bird training workshop in Florida earlier this year. And he told me I just had to have her on my show because she was so patient and gentle and clever and reminded him of me. How could 
I resist such a compliment. I'm thrilled that Dr. Susan Friedman responded with a yes to my invitation to come and talk to me about behavior. Dr. Friedman is currently a faculty member in the Department of Psychology at Utah State University, and her area of expertise is learning and behavior with a special emphasis on children's behavior disorders. She's a steadfast proponent of changing behavior through felicitation rather than force, teaching that by changing the environment, we'll all learn to behave successfully. In the last several years, Dr. Friedman has turned her attention to animal behaviors, which explains how she met my son while she was sharing her expertise at the workshop he was attending. She's contributed chapters on learning and behavior for three avian veterinary texts and is here today to tell us about some of the essential tools we could use as parents to empower and enrich the lives of all with whom we live and meet. Susan, hello. Good morning, Vivian. Thank you. It's a compliment for me to be compared to you. (laughs) I thought that was so funny when my son said that because I thought, oh, I didn't know where he was going with it. And then when he said, she reminds me of you, I went, Oh my goodness, that was that was lovely because he would never come out and tell me those things. You know, he does it in a roundabout way like that. Oh, so, oh yes, what a wonderful yeah. appraisal from a son. That's right, that's right. Well, Susan, you started out your career working with behavioral disorders in children. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Phyllisin? Yes, those were children who had been sent to a residential treatment center oh. in the countryside of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Um, they had come from the inner city and had lived already in their short lives very, very demanding um, experiences, and they were failing, uh, failing at home, failing in the community, failing at school, and so they were sent to us to help them learn ways to succeed. Mm. And um, so you spent many, many years um, researching and working actually hands-on with these children and um, obviously came up with um, some wonderful ways in which to uh, work with them. Um, Could you tell us maybe a little bit about that? Yes, sure. They Really, they weren't my ways. There is a science of learning that's not Mm -hmm. well known. When we think Mm -hmm. of psychology, we often think of a couch and a therapist. Mm-hmm. But there are many different uh, schools of investigation of the different aspects of behaving and of our minds and of psychology. And the one that I was trained in was specifically about behavior change mm-hmm. due to working with the environment, sort of mm-hmm. the exchange between what you do and how it affects the environment and then how the environment feeds back to affect what you do next. Mm-hmm. And that's called behavior analysis. So at this residential treatment center, behavior analysis with the school of psychology that we used in order to teach these kids to make the best of the situations that they were in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about behavior analysis. So you, you need to know a little bit of history about where the child came from, or is that absolutely essential? Well, we understand that the way a person behaves or any learner behaves today is the combination of a few different forces or influencers. One, of course, is their inheritance, their genetics, Mm -hmm. and the other one is their learning history, all Mm -hmm. of their experiences up till this moment. Mm -hmm. But I think often underestimated is how important the current conditions are, what's Mm -hmm. going on that uh, pressures or interacts with us today that influences Mm -hmm. how we behave, how we navigate our behavior through the day. Mm -hmm. And that's really all we have in front of us. Once Mm -hmm. um, a learner has already experienced something, it's in their history. 
It's mm-hmm. water under the bridge, and we unfortunately can't go back and help them to make changes to what's already passed. Mm-hmm. So we put our emphasis not only on the strongest influence of behavior, what's going on right now, but it's good news in the sense that what's going on right now is something we can make changes to. Mm-hmm. And how old were these children? This center worked with children from the ages of about 5 until 18. I worked with the teenagers from about 12 up. Mm-hmm. So they were tough kids. All right. So you're, you're saying that you, once the water's gone under the bridge, you, you just need to move on. So you have to meet them. This is what we say. You meet them where they are today and move forward. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You meet them where they are today, them and the environment that they're behaving in, mm-hmm. because their problem behaviors was not something inside them, like an organ Mm-hmm. If we looked inside, we wouldn't see anything inside their bodies that looked any different than anyone else's. Mm-hmm. Their source of their behavior problems was the interaction between their behavior and the conditions that they were living in. Mm-hmm. So I say, really, the problem is not the child. The problem is the situation in which the child is figuring out how to behave. Mm-hmm. But there are different kinds of children. I mean, a lot of parents can look at some of their children who are, uh, you know, sort of living in a, a loving environment. And, you know, some children are naughty for naughty's sake, uh, you know, depending on how you define naughty, I suppose, not, not um, well, inappropriately behaving under certain circumstances that maybe the family um, doesn't approve of or, or um, you know, would rather not happen. So um, inherently, Children push boundaries, correct? No, I would disagree. All right, then tell us about that. I know. (laughs) It's a very, very different way of looking at behavior than our culture teaches us to look at behavior. Mm -hmm. The way that we look at behavior is as a tool to affect your environment in some way. You know, it's an interesting thing. Excuse me. If you ask people what are their eyes for, they tell you to see, and what are their ears for? They'll tell you to hear, and even the smallest child can give you answers to those questions. But when you ask someone, what is your behavior for, you could come up with silence. People don't think of behavior as a tool that helps us navigate our world. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the first things that I teach people is to think about behavior as having a purpose. Mm -hmm. And when we say that, a child is inherently naughty. I'm not sure what inherently means. Mm-hmm. What I know is that children use their behavior as a tool to affect the outcome mm-hmm. that they have available to them. Mm-hmm. So when a child is behaving naughty, rather than looking inside what is inherent, mm-hmm. what I'm looking for is what in the environment gives that naughty behavior its function. Mm-hmm. What what purpose does the naughty behavior serve? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the road that we walk in order to help children learn to choose behavior for better outcomes and, mm-hmm. and have some control over that. And so as parents, we really need to be observant and notice when and why our children are behaving in a particular way that we may not want them to behave and then go in there and try to affect some kind of change by changing their environment. And could their environment be maybe my attitude? 
Uh, that was just so perfectly said. That's exactly as I would explain it, that when your child misbehaves in a way that is inappropriate um, or that is not successful for you, the family, the moment, then the question is, what outcome does that behavior give the child? What purpose does it serve? And then we change behavior by changing conditions, by changing those outcomes. Mm -hmm. And, of course, with children, there's nothing that needs to be hidden. We can fully disclose what we observe. I observe you misbehaving at the toy aisle in, in, in the store. Mm-hmm. Last time we were in the store, I observed you tantruming when I said it was time to go and we couldn't buy a toy. So this time when we go to the store, how are we going to do this differently? Because mm-hmm. that's inappropriate behavior. Mm-hmm. And so how can I help you go through this store and leave happy together, mm-hmm. both of us? Mm-hmm. And then we can talk about it. For example, mm-hmm. maybe what we could do is have you show me, point to, touch, three toys that are your very favorite, your heart's desire. And then I will remember those three for the appropriate occasion and we'll be able to go through the store and leave with the same smile we came in with. Mm. So that's very different than thinking that the child is inherently temperate or selfish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's about seeing it as a learning opportunity and a teaching Mm -hmm. opportunity. Mm -hmm. I always think that um, stores tend to put their most attractive childlike items on low shelves so that the children are you know sort of instantly attracted to them and it just you know it does it makes a problem for for parents who are who are walking through the store with a child and every time they see something they wanted and um you know trying to sort of navigate <laughs> through this yes. little minefield of tantrums you know it's just oh i'm sure that they do but rather than seeing it as a setup for problems we can see it as a setup for wonderful teaching opportunities yeah. you don't always get what you want it's not always immediate sometimes we just look and admire without taking it home we could even talk about the marketing aspect of mm-hmm. isn't it interesting that that truck is placed by the register and yes. not deep in the bowels of the, of the store, you know. These are wonderful learning opportunities. And um, I think if we see them that way, we don't see ourselves as contentious. Mm-hmm. Then we have our learning agenda, and going through the toy aisle is an opportunity to, to teach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we talked about um, your child, my child is naughty, and we are great labelers and that was one of the reasons why I decided to homeschool because the schools that my children were going to and potentially were going to be going to just love to label them either you know they weren't bad labels necessarily but they labeled them gifted and talented or um, um, early readers and I, and I think oh you know you put a label on a child and they've got to live with that label and we tend to label our children and um you know, we we just kind of, and then we focus on trying to change them because they're, you know, the labels are angry or hyper or moody. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what do you think about labeling? How do we, how do we deal with learning not to label our children? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it's really a major problem for all of us. These labels are used as though they're describing behavior, but they're not. They're just they're just adjectives, you know. They just label, as you say, the behavior that is really of interest. Mm-hmm. So rather than calling a child angry, we would ask, what does that behavior look like? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. under what conditions do we see those behaviors? 
Mm-hmm. So a child is an angry 100% of the day, 24 hours a day, seven days yeah. a week. Oh, we have They're to go angry on sh- under conditions. Yeah, go ahead. All right, we have to go on a short break now. I'll be right back. Sure. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for resources, tools, and support to help you build a successful business and live an awesome life. It's the Women's Business Success Show with your host, founder of the Association of Women Entrepreneurs, Tara McHugh. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Each show will feature a special guest interview. Tara will bring you highly successful entrepreneurs sharing their stories of success. You'll hear about the challenges they faced along their journey together with the advice they have to help you achieve more. You'll also hear from various personal and business development experts sharing tips, solutions, and strategies that you can easily implement into your business and life for amazing results. For more on Tara and her show, check out her website, aofwe.com. Then join us for the Women's Business Success Show with your host, the founder of the Association of Women Entrepreneurs, Tara McHugh. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ellie Lopreet. Friday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Togedet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopri. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm talking to Dr. Susan Friedman, and we're talking about behavior. And um, we just were talking before we went on break about labeling our children. And I loved it when you said that if you'd say, my child is angry, you ask, what does angry look like? And, you know, that's wonderful. My child, my um, daughter, who's a teacher, when she went in and observed classes, she wasn't allowed to put, um, um, he looked angry. She actually had to say what he was doing so that you could, you know, sort of um, glean from that, that perhaps that was, there was, you know, some anger stirring because she couldn't actually come out and say he was angry. Right. I think that's such a great example of that idea of what does it look like is mm-hmm. half of the equation. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of the equation is what are the conditions mm-hmm. when that occurs? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. leads up to the choice to show angry behavior? Mm-hmm. And then that all-important question again, 
what purpose does the anger behavior serve for the child who's behaving that way? Mm -hmm. Because nobody is behaving for no reason. We're all behaving for outcomes, for reasons, Mm -hmm. all the time. And Mm -hmm. if we can, if we can observe with those sharp eyes what leads a kid to choose anger, excuse me, and what the purpose, what the child gains from that angry, behavior, then we can change conditions to change the behavior. Yeah. Um, So what would be some of the purposes that particular behavior might serve? And of course, we're probably, we can talk about um, appropriate behavior as well, but a lot of times we really don't reward and draw attention to appropriate behavior. We only draw attention to that behavior that's getting on our nerves. (laughs) That's right. That's so true. And it's a big problem for children who are learning how to behave and when to behave. Mm-hmm. We, we draw attention only when they're showing problem behaviors. And mm-hmm. so we're never pinpointing for them how to gain our attention, our approval, or other important outcomes by doing it the right way, by being good. Mm-hmm. And of course, no, no better place to watch this than the supermarket where you see children sitting in the bottom of carts. Um, patient, calm, looking around with friendly faces, and it goes on aisle after aisle after aisle with no one saying, that that behavior you're doing right now, sitting so calmly and pleasantly, is very helpful to me. That's why I bring you with me. You're so in such good company. All of that just goes by, and then we wait for them to whine about being in the court too long or not getting enough attention. And then we start to either scold and punish or mm-hmm. to bribe. Oh, if you're just good enough, then we'll get a candy bar at the register. Um, these, this needs to be, that coin needs to be flipped. We need to mm-hmm. be spending all of that attention time on selecting for the right behavior. Mm-hmm. And we can ignore the problem behavior because it won't happen very often if we are clearly reinforcing that good behavior. Mm. I use two words, scold and punish. And I know that when you transitioned to training animals from children, you used some of the techniques or you used the applied behavior analysis um, um, that works so well with your humans, um, with animals. And could you tell us a little bit about the scold and punish? Because if a child or an animal is scolded and punished, and they behave, they do what you want them to do, like, um, oh, I don't know, heal for a dog. You know, they, 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 they learn to walk neatly by your side. They, I know a child is doing it out of fear, and you don't really want a child to be behaving and, and behaving appropriately because they're frightened. You want them to do it because they really want to do it. They really want to please you, or, or they, get the, they get the result that that they're wanting from their environment. So could you talk a little bit about this scold and punish? Because that seems to be a really easy way, you know, lashing out because you're at the end of your tether and, you know, you've got your agenda and your child's got his agenda. That's right. It's true. And in our culture, punishing is the thing we know best. I say Mm -hmm. it's our legacy behavior um, and teaching toolbox is to punish what we don't want and we're not very good observers or rewarders of what we do want and so we're constantly um, working from as you say the wrong motivation which is fear or intimidation um, escape from threats 
when instead we could have a very proactive approach motivation, which is I want to please you, I want to keep up with you, I want to spend time with you, or whatever the other outcomes are. This is true for all learners, regardless of what species they are, whether they're our children or the animals that we need to teach to be successful living among us. Um, it's even true in the wild. And the problem with punishment especially when we talk about it um, with humans, but really with any learner, is that often it doesn't do what we're saying or thinking we're using it for. We punish to reduce the problem behavior. Mm -hmm. But parents will often say to me, I've told him a thousand times. And I say, well, a thousand times and you're still not getting any behavior reduction. Mm. Why why are you doing the same thing over and over again and and not getting the results? So... Mm. Excuse me. Very often we, we, we behave in punishing ways, but we don't get a decrease in behavior. And yet our cultural fog is so thick that we're not even noticing that. We just keep punishing harder and longer. You know, in the 40 years that I've been working with behavior and learning, many, many times people have asked me, aren't you afraid that you're going to have a reward addict if you always reward good behavior? Mm. And my answer is, aren't you afraid you're going to have a punishment addict who only behaves to mm. escape your your punishment? Mm. Because one way or the other, behavior produces outcomes, and those outcomes, the reason why we're behaving, really predicts what we're going to do in the future. Mm. So we have to choose sort of our style of teaching. Is it going to be um, from an escape or fear point of view, or is it going to be from a I want to do and get more point of view? Mm-hmm. So I think you've brought out really the the salient points. The biggest problem with punishment is that it does work. If we do it well and we do get a behavioral decrease in the dogs barking, um, you know, or the birds screaming or the t- child's tantruming, then we're rewarded for having punished. And so we're likely to use that strategy again. Mm. And I think that explains why we do live in such a punishing culture is because when it does work, then we're rewarded for using it. And Mm. so we use it again. And then all that beautiful teaching toolbox of selecting for the right behavior just goes by. We don't, we're not even aware it's available to us. Well, earlier on when I was when I was um, talking to you before this interview, I talked about you. You were saying um, if you keep rewarding just now, you um, you would have a reward addict. And I know that um, with some of the birds that I've I've watched and, and encountered who have been trained and they are rewarded, it's pro- positive reinforcement that they've been given. Um, they keep on. You you say they. I mean, do they ever learn something and not need the reinforcement? And actually uh, saying that, I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you want to continue reinforcing good behavior? I mean, why would you? That's right. You're you're in the zone now. See, it's almost like flicking (laughs) a light switch, you know? I know. And of course, these are the things you've always known. But by talking about it, we make it more aware for Mm. you. We get it straight out kind of in a big neon sign that Mm. this is really accounting for your success as a teacher and as a parent, as a friend, is that you understand that we behave for a reason. And when you say, well, I always need to reinforce the bird, well, we might not always need to offer a food treat, but we always need to make sure that behavior has a purpose. 
because why would the animal do so otherwise? Mm. So there are many dogs who, when you call their name, just come running right up to your leg for a head scratch or a smile or a walk out the door. We don't have to treat them with food all the time, but we do always need to reinforce behavior because if it's not providing an outcome of value, the animal doesn't behave that way. So at what point in humans, as they, as they mature into young adults, um, do, does the person who has been trained and has this um, really good, is a really good model of good behavior, let's put it that way, um, at what point do they start to feel really good about it for themselves and aren't really doing it maybe for their um, primary caregivers? They're, they're, they're going out into the world and they're taking this behavior that they've learned at home right. out into the world. And um, at what point do they start feeling good about themselves as a child going into, you know, the early teens and doing it for themselves. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I don't think it's a straight line of ascension. I think it's more like a hilly road. Mm -hmm. I think there are peaks where children are rewarded by things just feeling good because they Mm -hmm. saw the smile on your face. They felt good that they were able to do that or that they walked into their bedroom and they saw that it was orderly. They're mm-hmm. looking for the scissor and they can actually put their hands on it because it's mm-hmm. been, you know, it's been cleaned up. Those mm-hmm. kinds of more um, internal reinforcers, I think, occur in a sort of hilly pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a great loss of interest in our approval around third and fourth grade. In about fourth grade, we see that children start looking outward more mm-hmm. for their their sources of reinforcement more towards peers. And then we see them turn inward again and then outward again. But I think the point you're making is a very good one. Those examples of internal reinforcers are not the absence of reinforcers. It just means that the purpose is for that good feeling or a well-organized environment or a grade that signifies your, your knowledge in an area. So it's not the absence of reward. It's just that the reward is what we would call naturally occurring. So, for example, we might start out teaching a little two-year-old to say please at the dinner table and or a three-year-old. And when they say, uh, you know, I, I want the salt, we will prompt them and say, you know, what's the magic word? What do you say? And they say please, and we all oogle and ogle. But in the long run, I always promise parents that we won't need to oogle and ogle and reward when they say please at the table by the time they get married because Mm -hmm. the naturally occurring reinforcer is getting the salt. Mm -hmm. And so what is the reinforcer for saying please when you make a request? Well, it's getting what you've asked for. Mm -hmm. Although at the very young ages, we may start out by putting on extra praise and super smiles and pats on the head. Mm. So I think of those as the early acquisition stages, and we might need to use more um, overt reinforcers then, but children will grow to those internal reinforcers. All right, Susan, we're going on a short break, and we'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. 
It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out MarkLipinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. What's ideal for you? Really, what's ideal for you? Being who you are, doing what you love, and getting out and about with friends. What's ideal for you? With your host, Janice Christopher. Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. And it all starts with Janice doing just that. Then being open, curious, authentic, and living her life on a quest to discover everything that could possibly make life ideal. Check out the website, whatsidealforyou.com. Studies have shown that 80% of Americans, and probably everyone else too, dislike their work. 80%. The mission then is to turn that passion statistic around. To show how it is possible to live your passions and make a living. Or live your passions so that you'll be able to mush through your job until you can change it. And watch life's magic begin to happen. It's What's Ideal for You with your host Janice Christopher. Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. So Susan, I know you've been working on um, getting these um, techniques more broadly um, broadcast um, because there are still uh, veterinarians and pediatricians who give very conflicting ways to train either your dog, your cat, your bird, or your child. And, you know, they hark back to maybe what worked in the 60s and 70s, you know, what the culture was thinking. Whereas today's culture, I think, is very much more of a sit down and uh, talk things over with your child. Don't make these, um, you know, sort of far-reaching decisions for a child that where they feel they have no control over their environment. Allow them to have choices. Although one might oldest son whenever you gave him a choice of any more than two things he was thrown in such a flap that it was a you know it was better for him just to have his choices kind of narrowed mm-hmm. down so he took one or the other otherwise he was just too confused um so what what is what steps are being taken to get you know sort of a different idea out there on uh, about behavior to parents not just to animal trainers and zoos and and, and vets yeah, well, I think, again, you know, I agree with your description of it. Part of behavioral health is having the power to control your own outcome. Mm. Once we understand that we behave for a reason, for an mm. outcome, mm. then it's a small jump to understanding that being able to behave effectively, to behave for an effect, is 
pretty much how we're designed to use that behavioral tool. Mm-hmm. And if we take away choice and personal power over affecting our own outcomes, in the long run, we can have people who find it very difficult to be successful in this complicated world. When you describe narrowing the scope of choices in your teaching for the individual learner, I mean, that's just really sensitive and excellent teaching. It's what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Although these are general rules of behavior, every child and every animal we're training is a different, uh, is, a, is an individual, very unique. I think it was Carl Sagan who said there's only one like that child child in the whole universe. There's mm-hmm. not another one exactly like that That child. Mm-hmm. So understanding and watching how they behave and customizing our teaching is really essential to succeeding. It's not a cookie cutter or a one-size-fits-all approach at all. Mm-hmm. Giving, giving choices and power is important, but how we roll that out for any individual may be slower or faster or broader or narrower. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that we're doing to give this information to parents is uh, there's a very good website called behavior.org, mm-hmm. and that's one um, for behavior analysis where it shows all the many different applications mm-hmm. of the science of learning. And, um, of course, there are college programs that we are now preparing um, teachers to learn more about how behavior works mm-hmm. and how to use this idea of a child's power to affect outcomes um, mm-hmm. in their teaching. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, we're out there in the zoos, and I always tell my audiences that I'm here to talk about their animals, but my real hidden agenda is to educate them about how behavior works so that it can mm. trickle into their relationships with people and their children as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and I, I think as homeschoolers, we have um, a great opportunity to do that with our children because the children who are in the public school system and institutions, they really are um, at a disadvantage because it's, it's very difficult to try and teach each individual child in a classroom of 30, you can't do that. You have to have this almost cookie-cutter um, model going. Um, but at home, we can. we can. We can observe each one of our children. We understand that each one of them learns completely differently. And you can't just, you know, sit them all down together and, because it's just not going to work. That's right. I agree. I agree. It's a unique opportunity to learn how behavior works in the big picture and then customize those principles with the individual learner that you're working with. Mm. And to do that really maximizes your, your potential as a teacher to give to that child what they need to reach their potential. Mm. Well, Susan, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Thank you, Vivian. I so admire your work. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you very much. Well, I've been talking to Dr. Susan Friedman about the changing of behaviors. Susan gave us some wonderful techniques we can use to help change environments and conditions under which appropriate behavior may be played out and how to gently but surely promote better behavior in our children without a battle of the wills. Susan is a behaviorist with special emphasis on children's behavior disorders, and she now works with animals using the same techniques that work so well with humans. If you were listening closely, you learned about applied behavior analysis and how to use it to great results with your children and others near and dear to you. Dr. Friedman, you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. The same to you. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. 
was a very interesting conversation and um, one that I can expand on, I'm sure, over the next few weeks. And um, I didn't actually bring this up with Dr. Friedman um, while I was talking to her, since she knows my son, Simon. But my zookeeper son treated us to a surprise event at the State Fair of Texas a couple of weeks ago now. And for anybody who knows anything about State Fair of Texas, I just need to let you know some breaking news that Big Tex burned down. Just. I mean, there are, there are pictures online of Big Tex in flames. And those of you who know who I'm talking about will know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, my son had been planning his um, event for weeks since we got home from England, in fact. And he wanted to propose to his girlfriend who ran the bird show at the zoo in a style that reflected her interests and her job. The ring he designed and commissioned was of two eagle's wings holding a diamond. The band was carved to look like feathers and it was beautiful. He wanted a bird to fly on stage with the ring as he was running up and then he was going to get down on one knee in true gentlemanly style and pop the question. Yes, in front of an audience. We suggest that perhaps since the birds were free flight, that he send in the ring box with a little note inside, but not the ring, just in case. And he agreed. But it was up and down for weeks. And one of her co-workers, without Simon's knowing, um, proposed to his girlfriend during the bird show. And Simon was treated to the news from his very excited future bride, which had him on the phone to us in a complete flap that all was ruined. I assured him that although he knew what he was planning and it seemed to be out in the open now that she would still have no idea, which she didn't. Finally, all the logistics worked and they were all in place for the fair, and we kept an eye on the weather, which could ruin everything. If it rained, then the show was cancelled. And he ended up attaching a ring, the ring, not just any old ring, the ring to a dollar bill, which was a prop used by one of the birds. And if you go to my blog, you'll see the proposal, which his brother captured and live-streamed for those of us who weren't able to make the real event. When I say those of us, I was there, but some of our family members couldn't be there. It was heartwarming. My little boy out there on one knee declaring his love in front of more than 700 people who erupted. They loved it. Now we've got the wedding to plan. So far, the date is set for April the 6th, right here in our fair city, in a church, haven't nailed that one yet, with our priest from days gone by who now lives in Tennessee. He baptized and confirmed the children. Oh, busy days ahead. And a new title for me. I'll be a mother-in-law. And this young man who takes after his father as being a romantic and he has blue eyes, he took us to his favorite climbing place over the weekend. We stayed in a cabin he camped and we stayed at a dude ranch in Jasper, Arkansas. We headed out on Saturday night, each agreeing to drive for two hours. I took the first shift while it was still a little light and I hit the worst rain I've ever driven in, which slowed us down a bit. After my two hours, my brave cowboy took over for the rest of the way. We only went to Clarksville, which was five hours, so we could drive the last hour in daylight the next day and catch an hour of horseback riding before finding our cabin in Horseshoe Canyon. 
The storm we drove through all the way would have stopped any sensible person from continuing their travel plans. But we listened to a book on tape and sloshed our way through Oklahoma and into Arkansas. The lightning kept all of us awake. It was a spectacular display and lit up whole townships as we waded our way through Indian Territory. There was fork lightning, the like of which I have never seen before. We arrived safely, thank you, Lord, and had a good night's sleep, then headed to the riding place. The area we walked the horses through, mine was named Otis, was part of 150 acres of wooded land fed by several natural springs, which appealed to me more than an electric generator or solar panels for some reason. I don't know, the idea of drinking spring water straight from a tap hit a Mother Earth chord in me that I didn't know I had. Our guide, the owner of the property, showed us hard and soft maples and told us that 40 gallons of sap yields one gallon of syrup and that it took hours to boil down, but with a good book and a warm barn, the time spent was pleasant. It may have been a peaceful life for almost 40 years, but it sounded like hard work, clearing the land, running water pipes from the main spring, cutting the hay for the horses, growing vegetables, raising boys. I asked if she had a toilet I could use, hoping to go into her her lodge, and she showed me a wooden outhouse, which I couldn't resist. It was very Western. And then afterwards, our son drove us to the ranch, where we were bowled over by the size and beauty of the canyon. In fact, as I walked in it, I couldn't find words to describe the fierceness of the terrain. Rock climbers love the cliff, the cliffs for rope climbing and the boulders for bouldering. And it looks as though I have run out of time this week. It's been a different kind of week with my two guests, and I'm glad that um, you stayed with me, and I hope you enjoyed my show. Um, and um, I'm going to, what am I going to do this weekend? Well, not a lot. I'll probably go to the store and I'll probably bake a cake. I love to have a cake around, especially when it lures my boys to come visit. I've had fun this week, so don't forget to hop over to Sunlight and take advantage of their geography, culture, adventure in the Far East, and maybe even turn it into a fundraiser to help with the Great Commission. I'll be here same time, same place next week on Toginet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio. Thank you, Eric, for editing my little piece in for me. And thank you, Jill, for getting it perfect. My guests, Sarita Holtzman and Dr. Susan Friedman. And you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Christine, Joel, Laura, and many others who are a part of my growing audience. Listen to my friend Ali Lopreet with This Little Parent Stayed Home Mondays at 7 Central and Sandy Fowler of Heartfield Holidays also on Mondays at 1 Central. So you may as well just tune in on Mondays and stay there all day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Talk.